I am Audrey Johnson, and this is On the Couch with Audrey J. Andrea Swenson's unique perspective and unequivocal appreciation for music has made her a successful author, radio host, and podcaster. Many of us were introduced to her during her time at Minnesota's public radio station, The Current, and have enjoyed her writings, appearances at Paisley Park, and hosting the official Prince podcast. I hope you enjoy our conversation. So grab your beverage, get comfortable, and join us on the couch. Hi, welcome back to another wonderful episode of On the Couch with Audrey J. And the reason I say it's wonderful is because I have the pleasure today of having music journalist and author and podcaster Andrea Swenson with me on the couch today. So welcome to the couch. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, What is the first word that comes to your mind when I say Prince? First word. Brilliant. I mean, there isn't really a word that gets at, you know, the level of genius that um, that is him. But yeah, it has to be something like that. Something something getting at that high, high bar of excellence that he strove for and, and hit in his career. I think brilliant does it for me. Okay, good. All right, we'll, we'll come back to that, I'm sure. Um, so I understand that you had an interest in music at a pretty early age. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like where it started? Sure. Um, my hippie parents definitely introduced me to music uh, <laughs> from like, you know, being a baby, basically. My earliest memories are music in the home. Uh, my dad loved records and uh, all the, you know, kind of greats of the 60s and 70s and um, played guitar and my mom played piano in the home and it just was a big part of our life. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I was really drawn to it too. And, um, both to play music myself and take piano lessons and, and also just to listen to it and be an appreciator like my parents were. Um, one of my very earliest memories is my dad playing the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want when I was having a temper tantrum. (laughs) And it just taught me that like there's messages here, you know? (laughs) Yes. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, I I would have liked your dad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's a great, great guy and now a wonderful grandpa as well. Awesome. Introducing those things to my daughters. So that's really cool. Nice. Very nice. So how old were you when you started uh piano lessons? Um, I was in elementary school, like second grade, I think. Um and I remember I had to ask to have them because my mom was forced to learn piano. And she didn't want to force me because it gave her this really negative relationship with the instrument Mm -hmm. as a child. And um, so I actually started teaching myself out of her old books and then kind of convinced her like, no, really, I do (laughs) want to take piano lessons. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think this is cool. Um, So, yeah, it was definitely elementary school. And then I continued actually through college. Um, I started college as a music major and um, studying classical and jazz and had gotten up to like four instruments by that point oh wow what other instruments did you play 
flute and guitar and bass. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Nice. But all, you know, now it's all just a hobby. So yeah, it's just uh, a hobby. It's, so, it's just something wonderful in my life that I do in my own home uh-huh. with no one watching. <laughs> <laughs> Audience of, you know, two, your husband, yes. your daughter. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Got it. So why did you step away from it? Um, I, you know, I, during college, I think it's such a, a time where you really are trying to find yourself and, and what you want to be doing. And I was really drawn to journalism at that point hmm. and um, started writing music reviews for my college newspaper and realized that that was something that was just really um, enjoying and that came really naturally for me. And, um, I think at that point, you know, thinking about a career, I could see like a more clear career path with writing than with playing in, you know, like an orchestra. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, um, I think, yeah, it just felt to me like something I could grasp more immediately. Um, and it was something that was really exciting because I was able to cover musicians you know, in my college campus and in my community and, um, really start to like engage with the music scene around me in that way. And it just felt very exciting to me and like something I could not get enough of. Okay. All right. So your first, I guess, real bona fide assignment, um, which, what was it? Paid? Yeah. <laughs> that took years. Uh, <laughs> um, it was something for, you know, at the time when I was starting, we actually had three alt weeklies in the Twin Cities. Um, and it was for this alt weekly called Pulse of the Twin Cities. And I think it was an interview with a local band, um, the debut, they were called. And not long after that, I got to write my first cover story for them as well. Um, which was an interview with Mason Jennings, who's a really well-known Minnesota folk singer. And um, that just felt to me like I was like really starting on this path, like writing, you know, in-depth pieces about musicians and getting to put them on the cover of a a newspaper that was available across the Twin Cities and really start to elevate people like using my voice and my platform. And that was very thrilling to Mm -hmm. me. Okay. And then from there, where where did that take you? Um, within a few years, I got my first full-time job as music editor of City Pages. So I was in charge of the whole music section for, um, what was at that time the most popular, well-read paper, um, in the metro area in terms of like an alt-weekly. Um, and that was like a dream job for me because suddenly I was, you know, not only writing about music myself, but also assigning articles and editing a whole stable of freelancers and hiring photographers and really hands-on in the coverage of the local music scene. And I learned so much in that job. I was there for four years. And when I left City Pages, I went right to Minnesota Public Radio, um, where I worked for the next 10 years. And I actually started there as a writer, journalist, and over time um, started to pick up more and more on-air work. And then eventually took over the local show. Um, so I had my own program, weekly program for about five years. And it was just such a fun uh, combination of all of these different interests that I, you know, had. Like I was still writing, but I was yeah. also interviewing artists on air. And then we started doing the podcast. And that was like the whole other level. 
And then that's how I connected with Prince because he was such a big fan of the radio station. And it just was a really pivotal period of my life and my professional life um, that I'm still kind of unpacking now. (laughs) What was the music scene like at that time when you were at City Pages and then when you just came on board to NPR? Like what was kind of going on in in the Twin Cities at that point? What year was that? Uh, 2008 is when I started really you know, full-time dedicated to the scene. And um, it was very exciting because there were all of these bands that were starting to rise out of the Twin Cities and have a national profile. Mm -hmm. I remember one year we did, um, we had an annual issue called Pick to Click where a bunch of tastemakers would vote on, you know, their favorite up-and-coming artists. And then we'd take the top 10 and write profiles of each of them and it would be like the whole paper. And um, like seven of the 10 artists that year that we profiled and I think this was in 2010 got signed to labels and suddenly we're like touring and it was just like every band that was coming up that was gaining a following in the Twin Cities would make that leap to having a national presence I'm thinking of like Palisa um which is a just fantastic band from the Twin Cities um it was a the period where a bunch of artists including like Bonnie Bear and Many artists from here got together and made the super group called Gangs that um, Prince actually almost played guitar with one night. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Do tell. We'll come back to that. Put a pin in that. <laughs> so there, it was just a really exciting time. Like people were, you know, coming out of Minnesota and then suddenly they'd be on, you know, the, one of the late night shows playing as the musical guest. And it just felt like there was such a vibrancy and this excitement around what was happening here that was spilling over and that other people were noticing in like a really, really exciting way that um, I think maybe is on par with, I think the last time that happened here was probably in the nineties when like Jam and Lewis were working with a lot of artists here, like Sounds of Blackness. And then we had all these rock bands that were in like these kind of funny one hit wonder things like Mm -hmm. Soul Asylum and Semi-Sonic. And I think that was probably the last time that there had been that much energy around Minneapolis where you could like kind of feel it outside. So um, to be thrown in, you know, as a a pretty green journalist and be covering all of this stuff, it was very exciting because I got to go to New York and see some of the bands play on late night. And I got to go to South by Southwest and see them pull in these huge crowds down in Austin. And um, it just felt like this really cool thing was happening. Um, and then at the same time, Prince was starting to hang out in Minnesota more and it felt like he was really feeding off of that energy too. And really curious about what was going on here. And it just opened this like circuit between Paisley park and the different media that was happening in the twin cities, where it just felt like, this is cool. You know, like the city is like, really, there's like something really happening. Wow. Uh, so tell me about him almost playing guitar with. yes it's such a classic like prince in the local music scene story um so this band gangs they threw a big album release show at first avenue and the it was like a prom theme so everyone was supposed to wear these kind of like vintage prom suits and dresses and they had you know just like all the chiffon and everything in first avenue and and it was just like way over the top and and really fun and prince came um and I'll never forget like all the different stories. Cause this was when Twitter was like starting to really become a way to keep track of what was going on. And I just remember seeing a tweet. Prince just got out of a limo with a guitar strapped on his back and walked into the seventh street entry. 
And he walked through the entry and he came backstage at First Avenue and he actually plugged in his guitar and was playing along with the band. And they were in like one of their last songs of the night playing like this big kind of climax moment with all the different band members on stage. And there's conflicting reports about what happened (laughs) and why he did not get on stage. Um, But I believe he was waiting for one of these 20 musicians to go, ladies and gentlemen, Prince and bring him up and have this cool moment. But because it was so unexpected, everyone was just stunned and like staring at him and (laughs) no one knew what to do. (laughs) So um, it's just one of those legendary, like almost brushes with Prince and all of those musicians. I'm sure still think about that and talk about that where they like very briefly had Prince plugged in and playing along with them, but he did not get on stage and he just eventually turned around and, and left. And it was a mystery, like, like so that. much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was there until he wasn't. <laughs> yes. That yep, is a, yeah, that's I'll a great Prince story. Because that's, it sounds so princey. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but this was a period where he was showing up at First Avenue a lot. Like, there was a birthday party for The Current, the radio station where I used to work. Mm-hmm. And he showed up just to support the radio station. He came and sat in the owner's box, which is the booth up on the balcony where Apollonia is sitting in Purple Rain. And um, he just hung out. And he met, like, half the staff of the radio station. And he checked out some of the bands that were playing. And it just gave the whole room this energy of, yeah, whoa, Prince is here. (laughs) It was already a sold-out show with all these great local bands. And then that just only ratcheted it up even more. So he was really, like... I don't, it's kind of hard to explain because it seems so surreal now looking back on it, but he was just like checking out the local scene all the time. And there's so many stories about that where he would just slip backstage and watch a local band mm-hmm. um, and check out what people were doing. And he was like really sincerely invested in what was going on in Minnesota in this very um, quiet, supportive way. Wow. That must yeah. have been. <laughs> I'm sure everybody was like, Oh my God, like he's here. And was it the, do we talk to him? Do we not talk to him? Do we, was there any right. of that? Or, or like, like you're not well, sure like, you know, how to they, approach or. They put him in, you know, a private space. Sure. You had to, yeah. you kind of had to be ushered in to get to go talk to him. So it was really just like a few people that worked at the current that got to go say hello and shake his hand mm-hmm. and thank him for coming. But um, it was known before that even that he was supportive of the station. So it wasn't a, like a shock, but it was definitely a, um, unexpected <laughs> that he would take his right, you know, your, time out of his day. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, it was really just, I think, a show of support and yeah. nothing more than that. And it didn't need to be anything more than that. And I think that was what was so cool about how he was involved here. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, as a music journalist, um, you basically covered more local bands and things like that, not necessarily any maybe classical artists, since you do have a background in that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, my beat's really been focused on new music, I guess you could say, like new um, rock, pop, jazz, kind of what's happening in the clubs mm-hmm. in the Twin Cities. Okay. Yeah. So what was your first encounter with him and when mm, like personally or as a fan 
because those are very uh, different. <laughs> I guess your first kind of professional encounter with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably. So he was already interacting with the current, but it wasn't until January of 2013 that I had an interaction with him, like as myself. Um, and that was the run of shows that he did at the Dakota Jazz Club. Um, he booked out the venue for three nights and had all these rehearsal shows, basically testing out new band members in the NPG and then um, Third Eye Girl, who had not really played up until that point. Mm. And um, the first two nights were two shows each of the NPG. I went to the second night and it was early on in his um, decision to not allow phones into the venue. So I went to go cover it. I, I bought a ticket. I don't think there was even a guest list or anything. And I wanted to write something about it and we couldn't have a photographer. So as a, um, just a funny thing to mostly amuse myself, I drew a picture of him playing with his band and I took a picture of it and I put it as like my photo for the review <laughs> and just saying like, here's Prince at the Dakota. And then, um, that next morning, I want to say, or maybe the next afternoon, I got an email. Like I thought it was from his manager, but I later found out he used this email address himself. Mm -hmm. And it just said, Prince wants to own your drawing. Can he have it? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hmm, interesting wording. Um <laughs> I said, I'd be happy to, you know, scan it in and send it to you for whatever purposes. Um, but, you know, would I be able to come back tonight <laughs> because he's playing again <laughs> and I don't have another $250 to shell out to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> and they wrote back. Yeah. And I showed up at the Dakota that night. I emailed like the scan of my drawing, mm -hmm. showed up at the Dakota that night. I had VIP passes. They ushered me up to this like private balcony area i met bobby z for the first time and john bream was up there and like all the you know yeah <laughs> cool prince people in the <laughs> twin cities all the cool and it kids. Just felt like like what i'm being invited into like a space that i had not been part of before and it just felt like an interesting brush with him um and then a couple days later he had just launched this youtube channel under the name third eye girl and it wasn't even clear yet if that was like the band or what that was it was yeah and he posted a bootleg from um, the show that I had been at the second night and used my drawing as the art on the YouTube video. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Wow. <laughs> and it was just this funny, funny thing. And then um, some time passed and I started getting invitations to things um you know people from his camp reaching out and asking if i'd like to come to certain events that he was doing in town and and that started kind of escalating to where it was um you know they would write like prince really liked what you wrote you know after certain things and that kind of went on for like a year hmm. where he was getting more active and starting to do events out at paisley park and i would go out there and, and write about those and and then um, it was in the summer of 2014 that I eventually met him. Um, and that's that was on the 30th anniversary of Purple Rain coming out. Okay. So it was um, June 25th. I'll always remember the date because <laughs> it was the anniversary. 
of um, 2014. And I had just done uh, an interview with Bobby Z, who I met at his show. <laughs> and we were doing a package about the anniversary of Purple Rain. And I interviewed Apollonia and I interviewed John Bream. And um, we went down to First Avenue and cut some audio down there and interviewed some of their staff that, you know, had worked there mm -hmm. back then. And it was this whole thing. And it was just like a fun celebration of, of the anniversary of the album and the film. And then at six o'clock that day, the same day that it came out, I got an email from Bobby saying he wants to know if you can come out to Paisley tonight. And I thought, oh, this must be, you know, one of these parties he's been throwing because I'd been to a few at that point. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't realize is that when I would pull into the parking lot at Paisley Park that night, at I think it was like 11 o'clock, it would be completely empty <laughs> and only Bobby Z and I would be in the parking lot, walking in, and I had this sinking feeling like, are we being called to the principal's office? <laughs> are we in trouble? We're in trouble. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> Why is no one here? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I remember Kirk swung the door open and let us in, Kirk Johnson. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we got brought into the NPG Music Club room, and... That concludes part one of my interview with Andrea Swinson. Stay tuned for part two.